bartender says, little darling, that is some doggone wig. Come on and get you some green belt. Hello, and welcome to episode 140 of the Erasable Podcast. I'm Tim Wassum, here on head hosting duty tonight, and my favorite couplet is here with me, Andy Wellfley and John the Gamber. Happy National Poetry Month, guys. Hey, happy National Poetry Month at the end of the month. Yes. Yay! I feel like I should say something rhyming in response to that. It's true. Doesn't have to rhyme, Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) That's just lazy. (laughs) There's also a very special guest with us tonight. Renowned poet Kiki Petrosino has been kind enough to join us from Charlottesville. Kiki Petrosino is a professor of poetry at the University of Virginia. She's the author of four books of poetry, the latest being White Blood, A Lyric of Virginia, which is coming out on May 5th. Thanks for being with us, Kiki. So good to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Super excited to have you on. This is awesome. I think the first, is this the first person we've had on who's a first poet we've had on? Um, I think, I think so. so. Yeah. Um, we had Vivian Wagner on. Vivian talk, was on. We, oh, yeah, we yeah. talked about um, uh, mechanical pencils. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. We didn't talk about poetry that much. <laughs> yeah. I missed that one. But we're looking forward to doing a deep dive into poetry and your own writing process. And even if you're willing, if you would read us some of your poems. Um, but we're going to warm up like we always do with our tools of the trade. And Kiki, do you want to start us out? Yeah, thanks you guys for having me on, um, and thanks for inviting me into the tools of the trade segment. Um, <laughs> I yeah. loved, yeah, I love the premise. Um, so you know, uh, what I'm consuming these days uh, are very specific here in the days of quarantine. So um, at the moment, I have a huge canister of of uh, a Costco treat, and that is the Kirkland Signature. Um, peanut butter pretzel nuggets. Mm. Um, these, yeah, these are Valencia peanut butter. It says filled. They're like inside of a nugget of pretzel. So I just have them around. Uh, probably too many of them have been consumed in these days, uh, but they're good for grading, writing, anything that you need a snack for. Um, and they're also good Passing for through something. a room. Yeah. Passing through a room, like breathing yeah. oxygen, like yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the other and and they're good for having nearby when I'm watching the other thing that I'm consuming, which is Star Trek Picard, yes, 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 the yes, new yes. Star Trek uh, <laughs> series that is currently streaming on CBS All Access. Um, this is not a sponsored post, uh, but Johnny <laughs> knows that um, Star Trek is one of my deepest fandoms. Oh no! Um, and the new this new series like is about my favorite character in the Star Trek universe so i mean how how far are you kiki i mean i remember attending a star trek convention in like 1997 it was called shore leave and it was like at the hunt valley marriott where many of us had our proms Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's where frankie's prom was (laughs) yeah it's like somehow but there was a a massive star trek convention there in the in the late 90s before it was cool to go to cons yeah and you know i may or may not have been dropped off at that con to like (laughs) hang out (laughs) with people dressed up as star trek characters like that's how deep it goes i met nichelle nichols who was headlining the uh fort wayne uh, star trek convention in the late 90s and it was super cool she she was amazing yes 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 um 
I mostly meant how far in Star Trek Picard are you? How many episodes oh, have, you, okay. have you watched? <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not trying to like get your your geek cred or whatever. <laughs> I know. I was like, you want my like com badge? Like, yeah. um, like I, later in the after. Yeah. Well, well, my husband and I finished the series, and so now mm-hmm. we're kind of in a stage of like when you go back what? leisurely and like just watch individual episodes um, and trying to like tie things tie different subplots together although yeah. we're not you know we're not so into canon with a capital c yeah. that we can't enjoy things you know but yeah. it's just a really fun series and I'm, i heard that it was renewed for a second season and yes. i just can't wait yeah yeah I'm, I'm glad you know patrick stewart still 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 has it he's still doing it it's really good and there are a couple a couple like MacGuffins are just sort of like storytelling devices that I wasn't a huge fan of, but in general, I think it was so great. Michael Chabon was head writer on it. So good. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And he actually, one of the characters, there's like a alien character that's named like Shibon. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> there's yeah. just yeah. all kinds of like really cool little Easter eggs. And I heard there's there. a, is there an episode called uh, maps and legends? Yes. Is, yes, there yep, is. Yep. Yeah. Which is a book title of his. Yep. So good. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I've been enjoying that. And then the the third thing I've been consuming is the Yacht Rock um, station on Pandora. Um, <laughs> because it sometimes you just need to chill. And, <laughs> you know, you need to listen to some Michael McDonald, like, um, oh, yeah. whatever. The, yeah, definitely the Eagles. Like, Millie Vanilli? Hollow Notes. Yeah. Millie Vanilli, I think, will make an occasional appearance on there. Yeah, there's that one video where he's like, working on a yacht or something and singing into the <laughs> water. <laughs> yeah. It's literally a yacht rock. Yeah. <laughs> it's like just cool music to just, you know, it's not cool. Here's the thing. It isn't cool at all. Um, it's how to live your best quarantine life right but here. It's Kiki music has... that you can like cook your dinner to and, uh, you know, like just kind of chill and like try to forget that and, the world's and ending s- and stuff. <laughs> for some reason, you know, every word, every song you're like, I don't even know how this happened. Yeah. yeah why do we know? <laughs> so, like you're going to know every lyric to every one of these songs <laughs> for some reason, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and then the next thing is what we're writing with and on, right? Yeah. Yep. So I am writing with slash on the same thing that I've been writing with on forever, which is my 2011 MacBook Pro, which I actually purchased because I, I'm pretty sure that, like, John, you told me to change to Apple products. What? Nope. <laughs> it wasn't me. What? Are you sure? <laughs> no, it's like, just get, I'm like, get Linux. Windows is stupid. Oh, that's... And Macintoshes are just Disney boxes. <laughs> All right. Well, I changed I changed up my game circa 2011. I bought a MacBook Pro. It actually has a CD-ROM drive in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's still really good. I've written probably three of my four books on it. Um, and I changed it. I changed the hard drive to a solid state drive maybe a year or two ago <clears throat> at that point, I wasn't sure if I was going to have to replace the whole unit, but since then I haven't had a peep of trouble out of this thing. And that's good because you got to save your dollars and cents during quarantine time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I had a 2011 MacBook. Um, I didn't have the pro I had the, the, the regular level, but that used the same kind of like body. And it was, it was a really good computer. It was super yeah. solid. It was, I, I dropped it a couple times and it still went on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
I think yeah. my 2007 got a few coffee baths and just like kept going. Just, I, I, <laughs> yeah, used, you know? I used it for like 12 yeah. years. Yeah. 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 I totally do have a couple, a couple stickers on this laptop that are stationary related. I've got like a mm-hmm. David Bowie lightning bolt and a David Bowie like portrait sticker that are from the Moleskin release. Nice. Right. Oh, from, awesome. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have an erasable podcast logo sticker? Yeah. I think John sent me some. Okay. I know yeah. I sent you some. You did send me some. <laughs> he was like, as long as you don't put it on a Mac, it's we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't stick to a Mac. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Like, They're like Charlotte. They have impeccable taste in what's actually cool. <laughs> no. They don't stick no. to computers at all. <laughs> Only the finest of voice terms. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> nice. How about you, Johnny? Um, so I'm we're sort of embarking on the Midsummer Murders, which is oh my god, twenty something series long. It's one of those cute little British crime dramas, but it's kind of like funny and adorable, but also like completely messed up because there's, you know, there'll be a murder in this town and then like four other murders to cover it up. Like, Jesus, like what's wrong with English countryside? (laughs) (laughs) And um, we just finished season one, which is put out in 97 to 98. So like right after I knew Courtney and I'm like looking at all these haircuts. I'm like, Jesus, like that was a long time ago. Like, Just so y'all know, so Kiki, Kiki and Courtney are the same person. What yeah, did I say? Did I say Courtney? John, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, because, you know, because John's known me for so long, he actually knows me by my actual name, which is Courtney. And do we want to? Oh, yeah, we didn't say. We're, do we we're disclose, related. Yeah. Do we want to yeah. disclose to the listeners, like how you two know each other? Yeah, yeah, we should disclose that fact. Forgot <laughs> <laughs> about that. So Courtney is my sister-in-law. Yeah, if and for my other sister-in-laws who don't listen, my favorite sister-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> if her voice sounds familiar, um, it's because you heard uh, her sister's voice just a couple episodes ago. That's right. Yay! <laughs> that makes me happy. So, um, yeah, that's it's a good reason to have BritBox because. Mm-hmm. Especially during the quarantine, they've been adding so much stuff, and it's so yeah. cheap. Yep. So I want to get it for my dad for Father's Day. So like, I won't watch it. I'm like, uh, yeah, that's all you're gonna do. <laughs> but um, I read I read a book called The Happiness Trap, which is sort of one of those, um, not self help books, but it's self help bibliotherapy kind of thing. It was interesting at sometimes. It could have been an essay. It, he was not a very good writer. Moving on, um, I just finished a book today called Light the Dark, which was, um, it came out of a, a web series from The Atlantic, and um, I forgot the guy's name. The editors asked a bunch of famous writers to name a, um, a passage in literature that really like spoke to them or um, made them want to be a writer or changed their life. So it had people like Neil Gaiman, um, Jonathan Franzen, and lots of famous novelists in it. Um, and it was a really, really cool book for um, relevant to National Poetry Month, um, The Power of Literature, and, um, you know, Thoreau's, what does Thoreau say? How many, a man has started a new chapter in his life after reading a book. They talk a lot in there about, you know, reading Beloved and being just completely transformed as a person. And um, if you read the whole book, you'll also get a really good reading list of stuff by the end. So that was cool. Hmm. Um, I don't know where I heard of it. I think I, it was in like a page of a magazine. I was like, that sounds cool. And it's not what I thought it was about, but it was really enjoyable. And it's in print. There's a, there'll be a link in the show notes. It's on Amazon. If you're stuck home, 
not near bookstores. And um, I am writing with our pencil of the month, which is not a surprise. The I'm not going to say this. The Viking school pencil. Yes. <laughs> the yellow one. So um, when I was looking for this, I actually found some older ones that I had. And um, the older models, the red and the yellow were different because the yellow didn't have a black tip. It was just sharpened or sort of bare at the end. Oh. And they had a uh, foil stamping on. I want to dig them up and take pictures. Oh. But um, I'm digging one of those in a right notepads amethyst notebook and enjoying these complimentary colors and how much they pop together. Oh yeah. Nice. I feel like Johnny, you're always saying things about how you've just like you uncovered some pencil that you forgot you have. And I still can't believe that when we were there at your house, we didn't see your stash. I didn't, we didn't manage to see your stash. Whoa. Well, well about, that makes me think you have like a bat cave. There's like a hidden, like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Like, just pull the statue aside, and then yeah, 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 and then up. like a door opens up, and it's actually like the rest. The rest of that building is just like your pencil, <laughs> and you have to well, like climb into a coal car and like <laughs> zoom down into some like awesome vault. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's like, a, a goblin that takes you there. Yeah, <laughs> put, up, put on the hazmat suit because of the graphite dust. <laughs> no, um, they were they were very disorganized and um. Like we have a walk-in closet in our bedroom and my half of it is like five flannel shirts and just pencils and notebooks. <laughs> so it's also kind of embarrassing. But uh, last weekend I spent a lot of time organizing and realized that I have way, 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 way less pencils than I thought I had. And last Whoa. time I had way less than I thought I had. So like, it's not even inhuman. Like I might even be able to use them all before I die. If I write <laughs> a lot. <laughs> You live so, long enough. <laughs> so I've been buying more pencils. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that is the answer. What, what else are you gonna do? Yeah. Next, yeah. you guys have to come back to Baltimore again. Now that I have everything organized, and we'll, oh, yeah. we'll pet stuff and make goodie bags. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, what am I cons- consuming? I feel like um, we. Uh, I've been doing. I've just been escaping into media a lot. I haven't honestly been reading that much which i guess is embarrassing to say um katie katie and i started watching uh mrs america which is that show that's on hulu um it's an fx original series and it's it's several uh episodes about um the late 60s and early 70s and uh the um mcgovern nixon election and then also trying to uh pass the era and they look at it through the lens of several um, several notable women who were uh, part of making that happen. So so far, we watched the one about um, Phyllis Schlafly, who was the one against the ERA. Uh, there's been one about Gloria Steinem. Uh, there's been one about um, uh, uh, Ch- Shirley Chisholm, um, and it's been really it's been really good. I I sort of just knew, kind of I guess what I've read in class and stuff about like you know what went on and just kind of how bananas it was but honestly it was very very um in some ways similar to uh the elections <laughs> as they've been so far um you know like george mcgovern was kind of a democrat populist and just a white dude who was like running on um just running against a um pretty like the first i think the first african-american and the first woman who's ever run for um run for president mm-hmm. um Shirley Chisholm and there's a lot of stuff in there about how um, you know the party was trying to get her to um, just like stand back and like promote party unity and kind of let him go like let him do it and just a lot of really just interesting thematic parallels to you know stuff we've been thinking about the last four years Um, 
and also really amazing uh, actors in this. Um, it's super good. So I definitely recommend it. Um, I think we're going to get to um, some episodes about like uh, Bella Abzug, who was a congresswoman, um, wore a lot of hats, um, and a few other people in there too that I, I just haven't read read far enough in advance on. So really good series. Um, we've also been watching a lot too much HDTV, basically. Um, <laughs> and I have been playing way too much Animal Crossing, as um, <laughs> my friend Tim can attest. <laughs> yeah. So yep, I'm with you. Yeah. So I, I won't spend too much time uh, getting into uh, Animal Crossing because I think, you know, that's a, that's a whole nother show into itself. Um, but it's really great. And uh, just just today, um, I open up my I go into Animal Crossing to check my turnip prices, as one does. Um, <laughs> and I have a, a letter waiting for me from waiting for me from Tim. He sent me an essay set. Um, which is like a little thing you can set up on a table in your house. And there's like a little inkwell and a little fountain pen and some paper. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's kind of delightful. Yeah. Super delightful. Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to take a screenshot of me sitting at my, at my desk <laughs> in the game writing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and then I am writing, uh, I'm writing with, I have both a Baron, excuse me, a, um, uh, California Republic branded golden bear pencil in front of me. And, a Baron Fig Adrift uh, pen, which which we'll talk about in Fresh Points a little bit. <laughs> Tim, how about you? Well, I've been playing a game called Animal Crossing. <laughs> uh, and No, I, <laughs> I have. Yes, I have not played a video game like this since I was in high school. So and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop there because I feel like, yeah, like you're saying, it's one of those topics where it's like you just you can just feel people's like eyes rolling back into their head. Like when you when you're talking about it. Uh, but it's great. Uh, I have been listening <laughs> to a lot of John Prine since he passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot, a lot. So, which was kind of already something that I did. I've been doing for the last few years. I didn't really, uh, I wasn't r- super familiar with the breadth of his work until maybe I don't know, three or four years ago is when I really dug into him. Uh, before that, I just kind of knew the ones that everybody knew or the, the more famous songs. And so there've been a couple musician, you know, songwriters that have passed away in the last several years. And, uh, this one hurts a lot. Uh, this one and Tom Petty both hit me really hard, like, you know, harder than you feel like things should when you've never actually met the person or something, but it just, um, especially with John Prine, he's just one of those guys that when you you read interviews or you watch, listen to him talk and you hear about him and you hear stories about him. Um, he's just definitely one of those people that just seems like the, the everyone is, is better off for him being around. Uh, he's a good person, uh, generous and just a hilarious, great songwriter. So, um, I've been listening to, I, I'll put, I was going to put three of his albums in the show notes. These are the ones that I've listened to, uh, the most, and the one is the, the most famous, uh, his self-titled John Prine album that he put out when he was in his mid twenties, which is really this just incredible album where, I mean, you got Angel from Montgomery, which he's singing from the point of view of a middle-aged wife, and then there's at 25 he wrote the song Hello in there, which is about like, hey, when you see old people, don't act like they don't exist. You should stop and you should say something to them and you should mm-hmm. like realize what they're. You know, they're experiencing, so it's like a story song where he's telling the story of these husband and wife who don't really talk much anymore. Their kids are out of the house. There's a really heartbreaking line where he says, he's talking about his kids and he says, uh, 
we lost Davy in the Korean War. I still don't know what for, but it don't matter no more. I like, guess just like he's got all these great little lines that just tell these huge stories within him. See, so, that's uh, poetry. That rhymes. <laughs> John Prine rhymes. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's John Prine's self-titled one. Um, and then uh, my I think my favorite is called The Missing Years. And then his most recent album, The Tree of Forgiveness, which I've talked about on here a couple times before. Are really, really wonderful. So that's a great record. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. The great, great record. And that every time I, my kids have heard me listen to him so much that I've started to hear them like shouting from the other room, like Alexa, play John Prime. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is awesome. Like Henry, I walked in and he was like, were you listening to John Prine out there? I was like, no, why? He's like, I was just listening to that heaven song. When I get to heaven, yes. <laughs> I was like, Oh that's my cigarette, God. Nine yeah. miles long. Yeah. yeah. Vodka and ginger ale. Yep. Just to hear my son, who doesn't, he has no idea what he's saying, but he's like, gonna smoke a cigarette that's nine miles long. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then uh, my daughter, my daughter, who's three, like Jane and I went into her room and she was shouting at Alexa or something. And she was trying to get Alexa to play some song. And she said, I want the rainbow song. And we're like, what? And Jane's like, oh. rainbow connection. And I was like, and she's like, no, the rainbow song. And I was like, like somewhere over the rainbow. And she's like, no, the rainbow song. And finally I was like, oh. Alexa, play In Spite of Ourselves by John Prine. Oh, <laughs> and then she got wow. the on her face. <laughs> it's just like a funny song because there's some like colorful lyrics in that one. But uh, but yeah, so it's it's infecting my family too. So, <laughs> uh, lots of John Prine. And kind of connected to that uh, by like wanting to just read a lot about him after he passed away. I rediscovered the magazine American Songwriter, which I used to read a lot and haven't in years. Uh, they were giving away access for free to the, the last issue when Tree of Forgiveness came out that featured John Prine. So wow. started out by reading that, that whole issue, which was, I think I said episode, but that issue, which was great. And that made me end up buying a subscription to the magazine, which I haven't had in years. So I'm really looking forward to getting those in the mail again. So yeah, that's me. And I am also writing with the, uh, Viking Skolabliaten, uh, <laughs> school pencil. And I am using a, a small hardback, like Navy blue moleskin notebook. If we have any, if we have any Norwegians who listen to this show, we would love um, <laughs> some guide to our pronunciation here because I'm just lost. I think we nailed it. I, I think so. Another, it's <laughs> Danish. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's Danish. It's not. <laughs> well, uh, Heinrich is well, Danish. I think in Norway, that's like... true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what? We should have asked Heinrich ahead of time. He's yeah, very patient and kind. He would have told us and not made fun of us. <laughs> That's true. Sorry. That's <laughs> um, so speaking of that pencil, that was our pick for the pencil of the month. So it's a good time, a good transition to just talking about the, like, our, our, our thoughts on that pencil. And uh, Johnny, can we, can we throw it back to you to start us out? And Sure. Um, so if you don't know what it looks like, this pencil is yellow as a lot of pencils are, but um, the print is in black. Like it has the Viking logo and the ship, which is really cool. And um, at the end, it sort of has that plastic tip that they put on a lot of um, they put on a lot of pencils before they dip them, but it's not dipped. If that makes any sense, it's totally yellow with just like a little black end. And um, apparently, it's the cheaper grade pencil, but um, <clears throat> mine has a totally different core than my red one, which is the office pencil. Um, but I mean, maybe it's a batch variance. Like the one in my hand is the one that um, I bought when they came out at the pencil store. And yeah, it's 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 a really nice pencil. It's a lot nicer than um, 
your average American school pencil. Oh, for That's sure. That's for sure. And um, I mean, the, the the company has a neat history. Like they were a matchstick maker and they got back into the pencil game a few years ago, which is super interesting. They're actually made in Denmark. They're not just sword Danish. They're really Danish. <laughs> and um, yeah, they have like a whole line of stuff now. I think they have notebooks, things like that. If you live in Denmark. Ooh. But we have to satisfy ourselves with the pencils. Yeah. I'm looking at the note on here so we don't forget. Um, <clears throat> last week we talked about um, not being able to get these as singles at the pencil store, but as of today, they're taking orders again. So if you didn't get to follow along before, you can follow along now. I um, <laughs> I'm a really big fan of um, honestly how how dark they are, but how good they hold their point. It reminds <laughs> me of like a the European like equivalent of the test scoring 100 pencil. Like it's, it's uh, yeah, I think Johnny, you, your note said that it's, it's darker, but it feels less waxed. And I think that's spot on, right? Like it's, yeah, it's scratchy a little bit like a German pencil. Um, I wouldn't say it's super scratchy. Um, yeah. German but, pencils are so smooth. Yeah. Um, but just really, yeah, really dark and nice. And I've been, you know, writing, I'm, I actually don't have one in my hand right now because I'm not that prepared, um, but I've been <laughs> using one a lot. And yeah, really good point retention considering how, how dark it is. Yeah. yeah and um, I don't know if you remember, what did they call it? The utility, that notebook, the field notes put out, they were yellow. And mm-hmm. um, the paper was like sandpaper. It was really hard to use. Oh, yeah. But I remember Viking pencils were a really good, good match for it. And it, and it matched color-wise too. Yep. It was very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think my, as far as like the particulars of the pencil, I don't have much else to say about that, but like as far as an intangible, and this is something I don't know if I'll be able to explain, but right after I got this, I was texting you, Andy, and it was just because you had sent me some, I was just saying how much I was enjoying using it. And the thing it's, yeah, like I said, it's an intangible. Every once in a while, I find a pencil that doesn't distract me, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) that I, I don't just like obsess over or think about or think about the point or I, you know, or the feel of it or I don't know, just whatever. Like it's so easy for us to, when we're obsessed with this kind of stuff to just really go over the top and think about it too much and be too picky. And for whatever reason, there's something about this pencil that I don't get picky about and I don't overthink and I just, I just want to use it. And I I like that it's noisy on the page. Like that's where the scratchiness is. It's just kind of like a noisy pencil. Very satisfying. Yeah. It just makes me feel like I'm using a pencil and I don't have to think about it and I don't have to. And and usually I don't like writing with uh, uh, pencils that don't have erasers, like without the ferrule on the, on the back. Usually I just, I don't gravitate towards those, but this one I've been really loving. I'm actually on my second one of the, yes. the batch you sent. So, yeah, yeah, I love it. And I'll keep using it. And I'll probably repl- replenish them when I run out. So, yeah. I'm a fan. They're really cheap, too. Um, yeah, um, they're $1.25 on the CW Pencils website. So, you can buy them by the single there. And um, I put an order in there as soon as they announced them today, but I only bought one. Yeah. So, I didn't. I, I was really tempted to be like, mm, I'm going to join this pencil. I'm going to get like 15 of them. <laughs> Support a local business. and my habit. Do you think we should, um, for the uh, May pencil of the month, do you think we should see see what the people and the, the listeners like think we should do? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So I guess if you are hearing this now uh, and you want to hear us talk about a pencil of the month, um, Within the first two weeks of this being released, so let's say the first week of May, if you're listening to it, uh, tell us what we should what we should talk about, what we should review. Nice, yeah, sounds good. Well, so I'm sorry I didn't send you one of these, Kiki. 
I should have yeah. thought ahead. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, like, sorry, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm going to check my mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'll send you a goodie bag after this. Yeah, I do. hope you put her address in for that CW Pencils order. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, how about we jump into Fresh Points and sure. we'll kick it back to Kiki. Uh, what's yeah? What do you have to share for us uh, or share with us for Fresh Points? Okay, well, um, so this is my first time contributing to Fresh Points, so thanks again. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, I am dealing with the fact that um, everybody's quarantined, everybody's at home. Uh, I am, for the past six weeks, have been teaching online um, all of my classes at the University of Virginia. And so I had, prior to, prior to the pandemic, I had kind of developed a cool, what I felt was a cool combination of like analog and digital ways of grading papers. Um, I would, I would pretty much insist that students print out their poems and, um, and turn them into me um, or print out pieces of writing that I had assigned. And then I would really like to either take a pencil that like Johnny had sent me, like I have a beautiful pencil box in my office, with all these different <laughs> pencils that I would use. Um, so, or I would use some colored pens, uh, to kind of like make marks. I'd even invested in some stickers because even college students will get, a, will enjoy a sticker if you give it to them. Oh yeah. So, you know, I had all these like cool analog little teaching things that I was doing and now, you know, we can't even really go to our office unless we absolutely have to. So my pencil box is in my office. All the stickers are gone. The students have all gone back home. So, um, I still have to give them feedback on their work and on their writing. And so I've just changed over to track changes. Um, and, you know, I have to say, like, in some ways, it's it's faster to just type a comment. But um, and of course, it it's it's easy to transmit. But I really do miss the feeling of, like, reacting to something on the page. Um, and so I guess my fresh point is that. I am now moving to all digital um, grading and feedback, but I'm kind of looking forward to getting back into the classroom so that I can bring back some of those fun analog um, teaching elements that I really enjoy. Oh yeah. Do you, do you own a printer? I do. Okay. I was yeah. going to say, I do not own a printer. So like if I wanted to we print something out to like proofread or whatever, I couldn't even do that right now. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I've got like a pretty cool printer and I've got paper coming through like subscribe and save on a certain oh, website yeah. that rhymes with Amazon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so <laughs> that, that's still that's still going on. It's just it's for me, it's um a different way of using your brain, you know, to write to write something by hand or to have a piece of paper in your hand. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, track change. Did you see the latest uh, controversy with um, Microsoft Word's um, corrections? No, what's up? They have now decided officially um, it will. If you have two spaces between a period and the next sentence, uh, you'll get the you'll get the red underline. Oh, oh my wow. god! Yeah. Wow! So I know I know among some people that's super controversial. Oh, gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> my entire dissertation was like that. Now I'm really embarrassed by it. <laughs> Johnny, you're so old. Yeah, he just gave you a few extra pages. Yeah. Well, that's not... how you got to the page count, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and Harris, they were like, keep it under 150. I'm like, okay, no problem. Yeah, done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, Johnny, how about you? Sure. <laughs> um, so 
Last week, I was on a cool little internet program called The Show and Tell Show, which is, um, it comes on Instagram Live on Saturdays at 6 o'clock Central Time. So I, I used to live in Central Time, so in my head, you know, I make the conversion wrong. So I sat down at 5 o'clock Eastern Time, <laughs> which was two hours too early, like, all right, let's go. And then I screwed the yeah. time up. But it was better to be too early than too late. So, um yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. Jimbo has um, really interesting people on. The folks that went after me were talking about tiki culture, which I knew nothing about, and now I know a little bit about. Oh, that's a whole thing. I know people who love tiki stuff. Yeah, it was it was super cool. And the whole time he has something lovely at a crystal glass, and I'm sitting there drinking water. God, what are those? <laughs> but um, I think they're on uh, YouTube later, so I put the YouTube link in the uh, show notes. But yeah, you were great. Weird. It was like right in my face, like strange. Thank yeah. you. My mom was on and commenting. Uh, yeah, me and me and Millie were, were chatting back and forth. <laughs> we were doing our Baltimore accents together. Like she corrected my my spelling of the word warder. Yeah, then my mom can't help it. <laughs> my kids correct her. Grandma, it's not water. Shut up. Water. <laughs> like you know what? You correct her until the day she dies. It's not water. <laughs> um and <clears throat> my other fresh point was we we just mentioned the pencil stores taking online orders again which is fan freaking tastic because uh what was it like two weeks but during those two weeks it felt weird not having that access starting to get the shakes yeah <laughs> <laughs> like i need another viking pencil but i don't want a dozen <laughs> and then i almost bought a dozen anyway um and uh speaking of very large things i um I like those pencil top erasers, but you know, they suck. They fall off your pencil and um, the white ones, I don't know who makes those Pentel. They work well, but they fall off your pencil. So um, Papermate makes some that are double walled and just like this beast of rubber and they work well. And they're like 10 cents at the pencil store, but they were closed. So I tried to buy a dozen on Amazon for three ninety, and it, I guess I read it wrong. It was a gross. So like, it showed up and it had this big ass bottle uh, box of erasers. So, <laughs> do you guys want some erasers? I'm happy to send you like two or twenty because <laughs> they work like super sure. well. They're the kind that I buy the kids all the time. What color um, are they? Pink. They're pink, pink pearls, right. but they're Whoa. not the old like pink sandpaper pink pearl. Yeah, they're synthetic now. They work so well. They're just delightful, and they don't taste like rubber. That's good. It's just a yeah. plastic. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, the reason I bought them is my last fresh point, which is um, in organizing my pencils, I found a lot of room, and I've sort of been going a little overboard in my um, <clears throat> eBay acquisitions lately. Um, like I just bought two dozen of Faber Castell uh, velvet pencils that I didn't need because it was a really good deal. And you've been a terrible influence because I bought those original or like vintage uh, test scoring 100s because you were oh, like, hey, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. I, I, um, oh man, I have a couple other things coming. I found some um, vintage like Ford Motor Company office pencils for Henry, who's obsessed with Ford. Oh, wow. Like he's the only kid that's getting like that and a red, a metal red bullet pencil from the uh, 40s for his birthday because <laughs> why not but um yeah there's like you know i somehow i've i haven't spent enough time on ebay to know that you could make offers to people so 
some people like obviously just want to get rid of it and that really works out in my favor a lot <laughs> like i think i paid 15 bucks for two dozen of uh the velvet pencils which is delightful oh, but wow. you know the erasers don't work so you have to put one of those caps on there yeah so um my stash is growing but it's being organized as it grows and it's very satisfying hmm. like oh it's so happy but i only buy pencils that i have every intention of using so you know if the box says 10 or 11 instead of 12 that makes me extra happy yeah but uh yeah i mean i should tell people my secrets because they're gonna steal my deals but uh <laughs> Yeah, and there's a lot of cool stuff on eBay right now. <laughs> on, on that note, <laughs> I'm all done. Okay. We cost you a lot of money on this show. <laughs> um, my fresh points are, for some reason, and not, not intentionally, all Baron Fig related. Um, <laughs> when, first thing I'll mention is, um, you know, it's been really interesting to see how many companies are making uh, non-medical face masks right now. Um like Timbuktu and um, uh, Rickshaw, both doing it. Um, my uh, my mother's really into Vera Bradley uh, bags. If you're familiar with them, they they've started making face masks. Oh. Um, and one company that um, one company that's making face masks is Baron Fig, and oh. um, it just kind of showed up on their their website one day. Um, and actually, I think according to the little um, kind of product description that goes with it, it sounds like maybe they have a friend or a contact who. Uh, is is making these masks, and they realized they didn't have a really good way to get them out there and to like take orders for them. And Baron Fig was like, "Well, we do." Um, so I think it was a partnership, and I bought a couple. I, you know, need something to go out and do my essential grocery shopping because we, uh, San Francisco, and I think maybe, I think maybe California in general. Um, maybe it's just San Francisco. I don't know. We have a new uh, directive out that says if you are in public spaces, you need to wear a face covering. So, Oh, wow. Like required. Yeah. San Francisco. They're not like going to arrest anybody who's not, um, but they are, they're going to, they're focused on an education enforcement campaign. Um, Oh, they give you a ticket here in Maryland. If you go about it. So, yeah. So we, um, we got that text message a couple weeks ago. Um, just today, they've extended the shelter-in-place order through May. So, wow. like uh, the end of wow, the, already after the end of May. Um, oh. I think San Francisco is the first municipality in the country to do a shelter-in-place. So it's like been going on for a while. I think <laughs> Tennessee's going to like, yeah. Tennessee's yeah. going to like open up water parks next week. Or yeah, something. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, hey, be sure to wear a swimsuit to cover. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's have a potluck to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All that to say, um, I ordered some um, Baron Fig face masks, and they arrived. And they have two colors. They have blue and they have green, and you, you can't choose which ones you get. I got one of each. Um, yesterday, Katie and I went out and did some shopping, and um, we wore, wore those. And I, I have to say, they were extremely comfortable. Um, for one of those masks that kind of go around behind your ears, um, they didn't really hurt. They have an adjustable strap. Um, they didn't. They barely fogged up my glasses. Uh, which is to say they still ah. did, they did it way less than most others. Um, so if you're looking for a nice, like, like I wouldn't wear this to filter out like wildfire smoke or anything. Um, I mean, it is non-medical, so it wouldn't really do much. Um, it's, it's really great. So um, totally check those out. Um, I also saw that like sticker mule where we get our stickers made are, are doing the same thing. They have face masks. So everybody's doing a face mask, but 
Uh, you should totally get the Baron Fig ones because they come in really nice colors and they fit really well in my face. Yeah, those are super stylish. I like the little, yeah. don't they have like a little bead on the side that works for the adjustment? Yeah, like a little, um, yeah, total adjustment bead on the back of the strap. And it, mm-hmm. it works really well because I, um, you have a kind of a big face, but like kind of small ears. So I, <laughs> I had, we had some, uh, made by a, like a family friend and they like sent a picture of all the fabrics. So like, Hey, just pick whichever fabrics we'll make them. We'll give them to you for free or whatever. Nice. Uh, and so like, we were like glancing at it and picked out ours and I picked out mine. And Jane showed me the picture on her phone. I was like, Oh, I guess that one over there. And it showed up and, um, <clears throat> I, put, I put it on and I'm just going to say that the, the texture of the material and then the design that I didn't realize was there makes it look like I'm wearing like women's underwear on my face. It's like, the, <laughs> it is, yeah. And James just like burst out laughing. I was like, I don't think I can be in public wearing this. It's a little like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. Really my style. So it's like, I need to order a Baron Fig to replace my. I did. I did order um, Hemlock Goods, which is a company that makes a bunch of different bandanas. They have a bandana that looks that has a bunch of pencils in the pattern. And I ordered a couple of those to like do that thing where you like fold up a coffee mask and a bandana and then use um, shoelaces to like tie it around your head. And it works all what? right. Fold up a what in a bandana? Uh, a coffee filter in a bandana. Coffee fil- oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I mean, it worked okay, but that's a really nice pencil. Um, yeah. So my mom made me one with skulls on it, which is awesome. Oh, cool. But yeah. she promised that if I could find pencil fabric, she would make some pencil ones. So we'll have to talk about this later. Ooh, yeah. Hmm, if you send them, if you send her the fabric, I'm, she'd be very happy to make masks. Hmm, that is good. For the low price of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Millie. She's, she said that it's, she's very good at sewing. She said they're pretty quick. Yeah. Nice. Um, so yeah, that that's that's 2020. We're talking about masks from Big. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, for sure. Um, the the other thing I'm going to mention. Um, so just today, before this podcast, the newest Baron Fig Squire came in, and I know this is a pencil show, but sometimes I like to talk about pens. Um, is it, it is a really beautiful kind of like light uh, ocean blue Squire called Adrift, and it I is. I can't wait. It is themed. Um, it's themed like a um, with like ocean images. And what's cool about it is, it is it has a wraparound design similar to the fortress, which was that purple Baron Fig's uh, click. And um, Joey was intoning in the Baron Fig phonetics group a little bit about how hard it is to make a wraparound design like this. I really, really want to see a video of this process. I, I assume he doesn't want to show it because of trade secrets or whatnot. But I. Love the way it looks. It has a bunch of really beautiful kind of like minimalist line art. And at the top, uh, kind of at the bottom of the pen by the tip, there's like the ocean floor and it has like seaweed and stuff growing up. Um, But then at the top, there's like the ocean, like the water line and there's a bottle floating in it, which is really cool. It makes me, I, I'm, I'm so sorry to bring this up again, but when I look at it, I, the first thing I thought of, which this happens way too often right now, is Animal Crossing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I literally, I literally was walking with, I was walking my kids and we were just like looking around and it was like, you know, no screens, whatever. We're just going to walk and uh, like a bee flew by me and like my first thought <laughs> was like, get your net, get your net. Yeah. Go I was pick like, up that wasp net. Yeah. And there's like a pile of <laughs> I literally walked in my garage. There were three pieces of firewood stacked on top of each other. <laughs> it, just like it is in the game. Like it's like a sickness right now. I'm really getting a little worried. <laughs> there's that dork. There's a meme dork. going around. Yeah, it says it's, like, 
you know you play too much Animal Crossing when, and then it's a picture of a park bench, and it says, two iron nuggets and four pieces of hardwood, <laughs> which is a recipe for how to make stuff in Animal Crossing. Oh, good. Man. No, I, I hear you. There's an element you, of that. Do you feel it? Do you feel the eyes rolling, Andy? I, I feel it so hard. <laughs> Every once in a while, there is a uh, a bottle that washes up on the beach of your island in Animal Crossing, and it has like a little DIY recipe card on the inside. So this like message in a bottle is very, very related to that. So, hey, as um, a, as a yeah. poet, I just have to say that like hearing about Animal Crossing is really evoking a lot of images for me. And I kind of don't ever want to really see the real game. (laughs) (laughs) More fun in your imagination. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should record an after show about this, Tim, because I have some feelings about things like (laughs) capitalism um, that just are invoked because of Animal Crossing. And I could... I could talk about the fact that I've been like working a little too hard to keep my son out of the game because I don't want to have to clean up after him in a video game and clean up after him in a, <laughs> in a real world. Well, I let him play. I let him play on my game for like 20 minutes, and I came back and he had dug like 30 holes all over my island that I had to spend like 15 minutes filling back in and like repairing stuff. So he's just like, it's like chaos. I'm like I'm not doing this in my virtual peaceful world that I've created for myself. <laughs> this is so sad. I feel so, I feel so. I feel so lame right now. But. So um, the last thing I'll mention about this is uh, each 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 pen comes with a little card, and on the card is a little riddle. And if you go onto um, a website that's listed on the card and type in the answer, if it's the right answer, you get a little treat. So I won't I won't spoil it any more than that. Cool. Yeah. Cute. Um, <laughs> The other thing, the other Baron Fig thing I wanted to mention is actually probably something Johnny might want to talk about a little bit more, which is the to do um, new journal that they have, right? Oh, I wrote it on there wrong. It's the do work journal. The do, the do. Yeah. yeah. It, but so um, my pen didn't come yet. I think it comes tomorrow. So I was wondering how close it is to this blue because this is like a really uh, pretty, like sky blue, steel blue. This is a little bit more like dark turquoise. Um, oh, nice. Is, so I think it would look nice together, but I don't think it's very close. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, this is one of their guided books. Um, I think they have what, like half a dozen of them by now. So apparently the method that they put forth in here is the one that the members of Baron Fig use to make all of their limited editions and like the stuff that they're constantly putting out and wowing everybody with. So like that in itself made me want to read it. And check it out and be like, ooh, what's up with that? Um, but it's not like, uh, what's that called? The, the clear journal that was basically sort of just bullet journaling. This yeah. is not like bullet journaling at all. This, this feels a little bit like an adapted version of, has, did anybody here ever read the GTD, the getting things done method from like early 2000s? Nope. There's like different aspects of like, you know, you you have different pages for like the things you're thinking about on, on a like yearly basis and on a monthly basis and on a weekly basis and on a daily basis. And you periodically go kind of go back and revise and filter and bring things over. It's um, I think I think kind of the the evolutionary ancestor of uh, bullet journaling. Hmm. OK. Yeah, yeah I haven't spent a lot of time. Like. Um, I haven't written it a lot. Because it's so pretty. Yeah. Because Baron Fig books are so pretty. Um, but I can imagine someone with a job and not stuck home in quarantine with children having many, many uses for this book. Yeah. And um, I don't know how their their guided books work. Um, I don't think they're limited editions. I mean, I assume they didn't 
print like a million of each one. But um, yeah. this one, I think it lasts for like 180 days or something like that. So you'd have to get, you know, buy it on a regular basis. One thing I don't, what I, I wish they would do is put that elastic strap on their non-structured books. Yeah, so uh, Frankie doesn't like Baron Fig notebooks because every time she got a planner, they wouldn't close. So she's like, I'm over Baron oh, Fig. Yeah. I'm like, but you have some really pretty Baron Fig notebooks, and if you don't want them, you can give them to me. Frank, but, Frankie, um, Frankie's the worst. She has. I found a metamorphosis <laughs> book on her side of the closet that no one wrote in. I'm like, what? I forgot. I I gave it to her. I'm like, son of, I want that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, uh, but yeah. I mean, in Frankie's defense, like I or maybe not, I remember that uh, <laughs> <laughs> as a kid, I would borrow like whenever I would borrow a book from her. She like would only lend it to me on the condition that I not crack the spine of the book. <laughs> oh man! So like, she, she really wants now. like the book to like if she wants that book to close, she wants it to close. Like you can't just give her a Babysitters Club book back that has like a cracked spine, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> tell us, she, um, Frankie. She likes uh, Shy Nolan notebooks, so we're Where's not gonna. Um, <laughs> give her taste in notebooks a lot of weight because those things are the it's just crap they're really junk <laughs> every time she gets one i'm like is it is it the fact that they're ugly that they have a sh- um elastic that the paper sucks that they don't have to stay open like what do you love so much about these uh, oh gosh it's like the pocket notebook like the hardback pocket notebook they make that's like four inches thick it's like it's the most awkward thing to write with. Man, she she gets the um, A5 <laughs> size ones. Yeah. And yeah. like every year gets a planner with her initials on it. Like, hey, I have so many options for planners that aren't pieces <laughs> of crap. Just, you know, don't, uh, don't yuck or yum, you know? Yeah. Right, true. exactly. It's true. <laughs> well, actually, I don't directly do that so much as just like, hey, here's this beautiful notebook. You want to try it? Yeah, sure. Just like put it on the shelf, you know, one day. One day. <laughs> so sometimes I get them back. So that's yeah. that's okay. Cool. Yeah, but um, these notebooks are really—they're very pretty on the front. You know, it says it's debossed, it says do, yeah, which is cool. And uh, you know, the flyleaf has a lot of cool of um, Baron Fig's iconography and stuff like that. They do such a good so, job with that. Yeah, so it it fits perfectly in with their other guided books. Yeah. Nice. And that is all. That is it for my fresh points. How about you, Tim? Nice. Uh, yeah. I just got a couple and one of them is just some pencils that I finally caught up on and got that I hadn't tried that I've been meaning to. And both of them are Musgrave. So I just got them in the mail uh, a few days ago for Musgrave and I picked up some of, I finally got some of the harvest pro the, nice, the, which is such a great pencil. I think I still, the Tennessee red is hard to beat, but the harvest pro is, is, is close behind it. You know, I'm not like a, a huge fan of, of full hex pencils in general. Um, but I, I really like it, and uh, it it really uh, works well with my Mitsubishi like super duper long point sharpener because I can hold on to that point and not hold on to the the sharp hex. But I like that. But I also got some of the News Six Hundred, which nice. oh, those those are great. Yeah, which I really am, I'm having fun with that, and I had been meaning to get those for a long time uh, because I think it was Michelle, one of like listeners, somebody she's in the group, I think. Uh, but she had recommended those a long time ago when I had been talking about my love for round pencils. And so she recommended it. So I finally got around to getting some of those. And they, they are a lot like the, uh, what's the general's? Um, oh, the, um, layout? the drafting? Or what's the what's the, the black one? The layout. They're sort of like the that layout. one. And the yeah. drafting had a big 
because they're so smooth. Yeah, they're in the middle somewhere. Yeah, they're not as chalky, but oh, gosh, I really like it. I mean, I was shocked. I sharpened one the first day and didn't write that much with it, and half the pencil was gone, but I didn't really mind it. It's like, <laughs> like I, I, have, I, have, I did sharpening it over and over and over and over, and it just like I just ate it in like a day and a half. So, uh, But it was fun. I like it, and it's a good, it has a good feel to it. It makes me feel like uh, it gives me those like Walt Whitman walking through Central Park vibes, you know, as far as like how it feels on a page, and I, I really like that, so – um and nice the Koji only other, reference well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I, and Tim I just got some cool stamps too I did yeah yeah I got some of the the Whitman stamps the three ounce yeah. stamps and they're they're uh really awesome I'm really happy with those so I've got some John Lennon stamps some Whitman stamps and some T-Rex stamps those I just bought some T-Rex stamps yeah <laughs> uh, I got some Earth Day <laughs> stamps that, that I still had to wait for <laughs> yeah so um but yeah no that the <laughs> the the poetry reference being that I I remember like I teach Whitman every year in my like with to my juniors and I just like always geek out and show them the scans of his notebook and I'm like this oh, is yeah, yeah. And, like you can look and hear oh here look you see this this is what turned into this section of song of myself or whatever and it was oh gosh it was um yeah so I I always geek out of it and they just like stare at me like cow eyed like what is wrong with this guy okay but, Mr. Watson so that's, this is one of those pencils that I imagine <laughs> that he you know like is similar to something that he would have been carrying around with him uh, so uh, the only other thing I was going to bring up is that I got a new system for my notebooks because I I'm always kind of flailing as far as what my notebooks are for and all this and I, I've just gotten to the point where I've, I've just annoyed myself enough that I decided on a system and it's been working for about three weeks. And so I was, I, I decided that I was going to to keep myself from having way too many notebooks, but also keeping, giving myself that room to have a little bit of chaos, but also a little bit of uh, order. Um, I've decided to limit myself to these four notebooks and this doesn't count work stuff. That's totally different. And I, but as far as in my own life, four notebooks, I got a pocket notebook. Um, I'm carrying uh, in my in my bag, I've got a drafting notebook. I say in my bag like I've left my house for the last three weeks, but um, <laughs> I carried the bag around my house. But a drafting notebook, which for me is like if I'm working on something, whether it's like song lyrics or I'm writing a story or I'm 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 like on a mission to do something and I'm trying to draft, and I've got that notebook, which I use a loose term for that, which I like because I got the page numbers and I can index it really easily. And then I'm keeping a commonplace notebook, which is my write notepads, the new hardback notebook from write notepads, which is a place where if I find a poem I like, if I find a, a lyric or if I find a passage from a book I'm reading and I want to copy it down, it's just like a collection of quotes and, and things that have, that have hit me for whatever reason, no explanation or whatever. I just copy it down, draw a line across the page and keep moving. And then the last one is my just kind of like wild rule free diary, which is my slate, which I'm just kind of like, that's where I, if I'm doing things like morning pages or I've been, I've read a book called writing better lyrics. Uh, and I forget the Patterson is the guy's last name, but he's a Berkeley professor. And I read that book and it was really great. And he was talking about object writing and it's similar to, uh, morning pages, but where you like pick an object and you just kind of write all around that object and just kind of explore like your brain space when you're thinking about that thing. And so if I'm doing that sort of thing, or if I'm just writing in my journal, just kind of rambling, that's where it goes. So that's where I don't have to, I don't worry about it at all. If it's messy, if it's 
all over the place, whatever. That's just where my like brain, that's like my brain dump notebook. So those four, that's my system now. And it feels really good and it's working. And I haven't done the usual thing, which is once a week picking out a new notebook for my stash and be like, yeah, but I'm going to start using this one. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've got this new project or I got this new idea or whatever. So, uh, but it's been working and I like it. So I just thought I would, thought I would share that system. Um, and maybe it'll inspire somebody else to come up with their own system. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. Nice. All right, and now for our main topic, after she so valiantly uh, made it through all of our segments and did such a great <laughs> job <laughs> listening to us talk about this stuff, uh, we are thrilled to talk to Kiki about her poetry. And I think the perfect way uh, for, for us to start this discussion would be for you to, uh, to read us a couple poems. So if you could, could you uh, introduce the poem and then, and then give us a, a reading? We'd really love to hear uh, some sure. of your poems from, from the mouth of the author. Thanks so much. Um, I'll just read a couple of poems. Uh, the first one I'll read is called 21, and it's from my third book, which was called uh, Witch Wife. It came out in 2017. Um, this poem is a pantoum, which is a special form of poetry. It's um, all the stanzas are consisting of four lines each. Uh, there's a certain pattern of repetition that happens, and the repetitions kind of braid together into um, a, a certain shape for the poem. Um this poem is good for the podcast because it starts out with the word journal. So this poem is called 21. Journal, mixtape, leather coat, silk scarf painted with caduceus, Luna Park, broom flowers, ferry boat, ticket stub, autobus 25, birthstone anklet, white Peugeot, journal, mixtape, leather coat. Perseid shower, bear paw charm, Luna Park, broom flowers, ferry boat. Thumb ring, tank top, lucky coin, birthstone anklet, white Peugeot. Pasta shoota, freckled arms, Perseid shower, bear paw charm. Campfire, windsurf, sudden wine, thumb ring, tank top, lucky coin. Olive orchard, sunflower farm, pasta shoota, freckled arms. Yogurt with apricots, coca light, Campfire, sudden wine, windsurf, olive orchard, sunflower farm, laundry, terrace, sting concert, feather earrings, volcano hike, yogurt, apricots, coca light, green yellow sunset, fever sleep, terrace, laundry, sting, sting. Wow. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Should I read another one from Please the do. new, from the new sure. book? Something about but, that, gosh, that line, or just the, the thumb ring tank top lucky coin. That's like, there's yeah. like a whole novel, whole novel. I, in that line. I, love I mean, that. does that not That's remind you line. of the age 21? I, oh I was actually, yeah, yeah, no, I actually saw that. Yeah, and I, yeah. yeah that, that called out. I was like, I feel like I can just about like guess like how old you are because of that line. <laughs> <laughs> so Courtney good. is as young as I am. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> so good. So the next poem um, is from my new book, which is called White Blood, A Lyric of Virginia. This is a really, really different book from the other, from the other one. Um, it's about history, particularly the history of Virginia. Um, and for this, the research for this book, I took a lot of trips 
before I had moved to Charlottesville, I was taking a lot of research trips over here and particularly going to Monticello, which is Thomas Jefferson's home on the, on a mountaintop here in central Virginia. And, um, kind of thinking about what it means to be a tourist, particularly an African-American tourist um, in that particular space. So this one is called The Shop at Monticello. I'm a black body in this commonwealth which turned black bodies into money. Now I have money to spend on little trinkets to remind me of this fact. I'm a money machine and my body constitutes the commonwealth I spend and spend in order to support this. I support this mountain with my black money. Strange mountain in late bloom. Strange mansion built on mountains of wealth. I spend so much I'm late for the tour where I'm a blooming black dollar sign. I look good in the dome room prowling its high gloss floor. It's common to desire such flooring for my own home, but owning a home is still strange. My blackness makes strange tools for a living, rakes the strangeness like dirt. I like to rake my hands over merchandise, bayberry votives, English hyssop, and crisp sachets. I like this engraved pewter bookmark so much suddenly, I line up for it, clenching my upright fist. I pay cash to prove myself no shoplifter. Still, I abscond with my black feelings, crisp toast points dunked in fig jam. On one hand, I must think very highly of myself to come here. Then again, that sounds like something I would say. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. Thanks. For sure. That was really great. Yeah. I'm sitting here thinking of like 20 poems we could talk you into reading. <laughs> Probably too many. We'll just cut the rest of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so um, could we do one from your first book, uh, Fort Red Border? Yeah, sure. Do so, um, there one? So I had two suggestions, coffee and Nestle, but I don't know which one you prefer. Oh, or Valentine number two. I really like Valentine number two. But this isn't fair because I, I know you. I've known you for a long time, and I've had the book for a long time. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to choose the Valentine one. Awesome. Um, yeah. I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> you like this one. Okay, great. Uh, va- Valentine. Suppose it was a cold throwdown for my affection. Who would win, Jack White or Jack Black? You have to think (laughs) in three dimensions here. Jack White, Jack Black, and one acoustic guitar. I'm the fourth dimension in a yellow wig and small purse. Okay, let's have a ref. I choose Senator Patrick Leahy, Democrat of Vermont. We all gather at the bar. Hi, ref. We all get free number two pencils from Vermont. Vermont is rad. Then we see a mini throwing star. It's zipping over us. It's Jack Black's. Intense, I say. Jack White opens his shirt. He takes out some kind of raptor. This is totally poisonous, he tells me. Well, I tell him. It'd be pretty cool to win this fight for you. I mean, throw down, he says. The poisonous raptor spits onto the floor. Jack White isn't hot, exactly. Another mini throwing star goes by. I decide to stand behind the bar. Bartender says, little darling, that is some doggone wig. Come on and get you some grain belt. We drink our grain belts. We watch the raptor dig a hole in Jack Black's neck. Now he's stacking me, throwing stars inside. Bartender says, moves secretary-like. Sure does, I say. I bet you can't speak too well with a neck full of blades. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure. Once, I saw the moon. 
Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Johnny, that one has, pen, that one has pencils one. in it. I was going to say, Johnny's just there for the uh, never do pencil, isn't No, it? you know what? I forgot about that part. <laughs> I like I like the raptors and the blades in the neck part. Because I kind of hate Jack Black. I was going to say, and Jack Black, Jack Black and Jack Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, that would be a really good fight. <laughs> like the Jack White from, um, oh, what's that movie? Cold Mountain. Versus oh, School yeah. of Rock, Jack Black. Totally. No, yeah. Bernie Jack Black. That would be great. <laughs> uh, Orange County Jack Black. That's one of my favorite. <laughs> Gosh, I love that scene where he's like going to like save his brother from the pool and he's like wearing nothing but underwear and his socks and he stops to take off his socks and then he jumps in the pool after his brother. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so uh, well, um, thank, thank you. Those are all wonderful. Thank you for okay, reading those. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. So um, thank you again for joining us. I mean, you're like super famous, but you're also my sister-in-law. So I feel like I manipulated you into being on this show. But uh, it no. worked, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, you're the author of four collections and two chapbooks. Yep. So going way back, this would be even before I met you um, when we were both like 18. Can you tell us a little about how you got started writing poetry in general? Or writing in general and poetry specifically, and um, maybe you could mention the Triscuit poem. <laughs> so my um my Any brother Johnny, yeah, my brother was dating a girl that went to the same school as uh, Kiki, and um, my mother went to a poetry reading, and this was a year before I met Courtney or Kiki, and um, she came home and she was like, "This girl read this really cool poem about Triscuits. You should have come." <laughs> and then later on, we met. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, what I would say is that I started thinking as a poet way before I was in high school, way before the age of 18. But like the history that you just told Johnny about, um, about reading in Baltimore, I think my early history as a poet really has a lot to do with the city of Baltimore. Um, So as you know, as John knows, I was born in Baltimore. um, And... um, Growing up during our early childhood, um, my mom, who was a public school teacher in Baltimore City, she decided that she would stay home for several years and and raise us in our early childhood. And that meant that my dad, who was also a um, public school teacher in Baltimore, that meant that he continued to work, but then he also took on these like extra jobs where he would do like adjunct teaching at night. So he would teach the whole day in Baltimore. He would be a foreign language teacher. He would teach Spanish and French um, in Baltimore. And then at night, he would go to community colleges in around the area and he would teach English to um, to speakers of other languages. So the other quirk about our family is that only my mom had a driver's license. So my dad like didn't drive. So what would happen is that my mom would drop off my dad and pick him up and we would be in the car with him going on these uh, long to us. It felt like these long like sojourns across the city of Baltimore to like go to these buildings and wait for my dad to come out or to go in. Um, And so uh, frequently what would happen is that my dad would teach a night class um, in like Catonsville 
to the suburb. And um, my mom would bundle us up when it was time to pick him up. She would bundle us up. We'd still be in our pajamas, but we just put a coat on over our pajamas and we would all get in the car and she would play music on our way out to pick up my dad. Um, and at those, at these times, we would be listening to a lot of 80s, top 40, like pop. And so there was a ton of George Michael and Prince and Michael Jackson and um, Dire Straits, like all of all of these um, all of these bands from the eighties and, and and just act, acts um, from the eighties would be would be in our ears all the time. And while we were in the car, my mom would engage us in conversation and ask us about what the songs meant, um, what was the emotion being conveyed. She would effectively have us do like close readings of this music, even though that <laughs> you know we didn't know that that's what we were doing. We, so I learned how to listen. And I learned how to think critically about something that I was hearing. And I learned to think about language as connected to sound. So I mm. always had that sensibility. Um, it was sort of natural to me to think that way. Um, and so as I got older, I started to write my own poems. And I always had this kind of... Um, sense of language having rhythm and music and a kind of internal logic to it that had that had a lot to do with sound. So that's really how I started in the car in Baltimore. That's really cool. So Kiki, you graduated from the University of Virginia as an undergrad um, and you completed your MFA at uh, ooh, the, the University of Iowa Writers Workshop, which is a super cool place. Um, I feel like I feel like I learned so much about it by watching uh, girls. I don't know if you've you've ever seen oh yeah that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she attends the iowa writers workshop um what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of formal degree oriented academic study in creative writing um yeah i think that's a great question uh you know i think that some of the advantages the advantages have to do with things that happen outside the classroom in my view um I really appreciated being part of a community of poets and being able to identify myself as a poet um, while I was living in Iowa City and to be part of a group and part of a town where there were just poets living everywhere. Um, you started to see yourself as part of the fabric of a creative economy of a place. I didn't know what my future was going to be in creative writing. I knew that I loved to write. I loved poetry. I loved language. And I hoped that I would be able to teach in some way. But I also um, worked uh, in administration at the University of Iowa. Uh, I met writers from all over the world who came to Iowa. I started to just basically build a network of friends and colleagues and associates um, and mentors um, who continue to be really illuminating and wonderful people to communicate with today. So it's, it was more of, you know, more than the academic curriculum. It was the, the, the fact of being there, the fact of being in a place where everybody was passionate about poetry. That is what I really appreciated and loved about getting my MFA degree. You know, that's some of the best um, as far as, Go ahead. I was going to say that's that's one of the best sort of like value propositions of of university life anyway is just like being around that energy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. that started for me at the University of Virginia where I spent my undergrad years and where I now teach in kind of a 
a kind of a full circle moment. I'm like back teaching at my undergrad alma mater. And uh, even though we've sadly had to to end in-person instruction because of the pandemic, um, those the months that I've had to be able to be in the classroom and teach students have been really, really wonderful for those exact reasons. Yeah. That's really cool. Nice. And so you get that, that mm-hmm. the, the benefit of that passion, like you're talking about from being in a program such as this. And then now that you've flipped onto the other side and that you're teaching and you're back home, so to speak at university of Virginia, how do you then like couple that, passion that they're giving from being in a program and they're working on their poetry and uh, are surrounded by people who are interested in what they are and pairing it with becoming a working writer. Yeah. I like think pairing that, that, just that like surge of energy. Absolutely. Um, I think that professionalization is really important. I mean, it sounds, I think if you're outside of, of the creative writing community, it might sound kind of weird to say some to say a word like creative economy. Most people don't really know, like, what what could po- what that could possibly mean and how a poet could could actually plug into that and by that i just mean like the aspects of the economy that involve um involve people talking to other people about ideas and making things happen mm. you know we're in an era where at least you know prior to the pandemic there were you know things like south by southwest festival um you know, idea festivals, um, you know, uh, various conferences for different fandoms, um, that those ways that people have to kind of commune with one another um, uh, and, and share expression, those things are major parts of the creative economy. But even more than that, you have um, universities like the University of Iowa, the University of Virginia, um, uh, that are like bringing intellectuals into a town to interact with people. How do we make that happen? How do we make sure that writers and visitors, musicians, filmmakers, um, how do we make sure that they get paid for what they do? How do we create opportunities for those people to come to a place and actually like take part in their craft, either by making something in a, in a town um, or by coming to the town to actually like interact with people or maybe teach students. Um, that's all part of the creative economy. And poets, because we can write well and because we can communicate our ideas and because we're very, very invested in the act of communication, um, are in a very, very important part of that fabric. So even if your job isn't you know, to write poetry full time, <laughs> um, your job is probably going to have an aspect of writing or communication, you know, um, ingrained within it. So, um, you know, at my previous job at the University of Louisville, I helped to kind of resurrect a literary magazine that had been begun and then had gone dormant. Um, and now that that lit mag, it's an online award-winning publication um, that one of my colleagues is the editor-in-chief of, um, and we have a student staff, and they get credit for working on the journal, um, and they also get credit for doing things to promote the journal. They they would do a mm. lot of amazing, like they would host events, they would do um, they would do things on social media to get people excited about the journal coming out. So there's just like this multivalent. Um, very exciting, um, bustling and burgeoning 
economy of creative artists that that I'm hoping we can we can get back to once all of this uh, once once everybody can be safe and healthy again to interact. Yeah. Cool. So, um, speaking of real life experience, um, a lot of your poetry is about your life as a woman of color and goes into like quite a bit of detail about a lot of experiences that you've had over your 29 years. Um, when, when you're sort of mining for material, um, what advice would you give other writers about how, um, one's life experiences can nourish one's creative output or, um, you know, be a source of content? You know, I think that you all really set the table well on this podcast by talking about the various notebooks that you keep and the various ways that you express yourselves in writing, um, using the implements of stationery. But really what what you're doing is you're using the stationery as a means to, to like access what's already in your mind and in your heart and in your imagination. Um, I think that a lot of of what might get in in a aspiring writer's way is the idea of time. Like, I don't have time to write. I don't have time to sit down by myself. I don't have, to, I don't, you know, I may have to take care of a family. And we have this image of the poet as like a solitary bohemian in like fingerless gloves with like <laughs> a candle, you know, like drinking writing, paint thinner. Definitely drinking <laughs> paint thinner. Like, um, and writing some impenetrable text that nobody will see until after they've died or something, you know? Um, but in reality, you know, um, writers are everywhere, you know, and there's somebody that is writing songs right now. There are people that are rapping. There's spoken word artists. There's uh, people that just participated in National Poetry Writing Month or National Novel Writing Month. Um you know, my advice would be to begin to value your own experience as a form of knowledge. Like, don't wait until you've read all of um, all of Jack London, right, before you can work on your novel. Don't worry that you haven't read and understood every single Shakespeare play before you write your play. Um, <laughs> the things that the things that you know are yours and they're important. The jobs that you've had, uh, the relationships that you've had, the upbringing that you've had, um, the conversations that you may be having with friends. And especially this time of quarantine, uh, some of the best advice that I've seen is that you should write about what you're doing now and how you're feeling now. And even if you're not working on some like major creative work at the moment, you will probably be able to return to your your notebooks and to your various um, bullet journals to kind of regain a sense of what this time was and make something of it. My next poem is titled, uh, you know, Catch a Fish, Sell It for Bells <laughs> to the Raccoon. We're back to Animal Crossing. Yeah. 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 Oh. Basically, Animal Sorry. Crossing is about it. Yeah. Oh, mine was going to be, oh. who wants to shake my kids for a week? Oh, me. <laughs> Me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're coming on Amtrak tomorrow. <laughs> Kiki, I'm, I'm really interested. That was beautifully in, said. Yeah, I'm really interested in um, poetry as like, like I don't even I don't even know how to word it. So like, when I think about um, like fiction writers, like prose writers, I I think about it in relation to um, 
Well, I think about like the same like skills that you gain from doing that in related to like copywriting and and actually like I, I guess like commercial applications of that same like like skill. Um, mm-hmm. And when I think about poetry, I think a lot about. Um, I really I should reverse this. When I think about the UX writing, which is the thing that I do, I um, I'm on a team that writes the words that go into software interfaces. And one awesome. thing I really yeah. one thing that I'm really interested in is the the kind of transferable skills from writing poetry because you have often have very, very serious constraints um, with very few words and each single particular word that you choose um, can sometimes like change the entire meaning of something. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really interested to know what kind of like, you know, what skills outside of writing poetry do you develop by writing poetry? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes a great deal of sense. And I actually have had um, friends who, you know, had have creative writing degrees and and went to Iowa along with me. And then, um, in in addition to their creative work, they have jobs at like a car company or something working for, or an advertising company working for a major campaign, doing exactly what you're talking about, copywriting or technical writing, which it sounds like the UX writing that you do is a, a species of, yeah, you know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, business writing, technical writing, all these, all these, uh, all of these things. I had another friend who worked for uh, a major theme park, um, like <laughs> working on writing copy for writing copy for a new, part of the park uh they had to describe each ride and they had to do it in a yeah (laughs) yes they had to do it in a certain number of words and it had to make people really want to like stand in line and go on that ride you know and i think that the i think that what you learn from poetry is uh what we will call economy of language yeah you know the the field of words that you could possibly choose from is effectively infinite at least in in english because english is such a a wonderfully absorbent language um and we have so many different ways of making words and making meaning from like the whole like just plethora of of words and syllables that we have to hand well in poetry you know that poetry is about compression and it is about um it's about working within a a constrained space the container of the poem whether that's a 14 line sonnet or a 19 line villanelle or you know you have 17 syllables in a haiku you know um and so being able to reach for those words and be able to bring them into that container and to understand that the form itself pressurizes each word you know puts a spotlight on each word um i think that's probably the biggest skill that you that you can bring into other fields is to understand the power of a single word, understand the constraints of a form, whether it's a business letter or whether it's um, a description of like something that people need to read on a software interface and be able to like make your words fit the container, but also to suit the container, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I have a, a good friend who has a master's in poetry from Bennington college and she mm-hmm. is one of the, she, she's written the, um, tasting notes for several, uh, bottles of wine, um, like on the back of the label for the wow. wine for yeah. a couple of vineyards. And I, I have another friend who does what I do at, uh, but at Facebook and he has a, um, a degree in poetry and it's just like i feel like it it exercises the same muscle um and in kind of like you know poetry is is the art and something like that is the craft which i think is really really kind of wonderful how how they like yeah how, how they work together like that I yeah did that absolutely for, uh, somebody 
as somebody with an English degree, I'm just like thinking to myself, like I, <laughs> I love that you know it's it's a skill. It's not just like preparing me for a life of working at Barnes and Noble. Correct. You know? <laughs> it's yeah. something that you can actually like, you know, <laughs> do. Yeah. Yeah. It's I did so some uh, barbecue now, sauce too. bottles. Oh, sorry. Uh, right. Exactly. I mean, we need barbecue sauce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the episode title. Oh, gosh. That's funny. All right. Um, so some of your poems seem to be like, like intensely personal. So uh, what is it like to write a poem like Thigh Gap and then to see it in print, to see it out there in the world and then to be performing it in front of people what, what's that like for you i mean it can be a really intense experience i do tend to write things that are meaningful to my life as it is being lived at any any particular moment um the the poems in all of my books i feel are extensions of my imagination and and maybe uh, my identity i guess um it can be kind of weird to read a really personal poem out loud, but by the time I've read it aloud, I've already, you know, composed and revised and I've thought about it. And then more, most importantly, I've written more poems after that poem. So you kind of, for me, I need to have like a little bit of distance between actually writing the poem and, and polishing it and actually mm-hmm. sharing it with an audience. Um, for me, I guess I fall back on the properties of sound that the poem may have. And for me, it becomes kind of almost a musical experience where I just want, I want the audience to hear these particular syllables and to take, to take meaning not only from what is being said content wise, um, but also the whole texture, the whole texture of the piece um, that I've, that I've worked on um, that I hope will, will evoke a particular emotion in the audience. I'm actually really curious about audience reaction to my work and it becomes about that more than it becomes about me anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, yeah. um, I assume that a lot of the time you're writing about real people and, um, being a member of your family, I know for a fact that sometimes that's true. Yeah, um, one poem called Dumb Pencil Guy. What is that? Who's that <laughs> yeah, about? My, my jackass brother-in-law. <laughs> so um, how do you approach writing about living people who um, could or in some cases maybe will recognize themselves in your poems? Yeah. Um, that will happen every now and again. I guess I, I mean, <laughs> my last book, Witch Wife, uh, I remember coming to visit my mom uh, at one point and she had the book on the coffee table and she had like all of these blue post-it notes like throughout the book. <laughs> oh boy. She was like, these are all the things I want to talk to you about. In this book. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't just about recognizing, I mean, it wasn't really about recognizing herself. It was mostly just like, what were you thinking when, you know, what were you thinking about this? You know, why did you write this image? Um, it can be really difficult, I think, um, to explain one's work or to kind of unfold one's work to, in front of, you know, for your family, because they are so close to you. And, um, you know, in the context of poetry, a lot of times I will try to veil certain things or I will make it be a deliberately fantasy, you know, um, 
fantastical kind of poem. I might use a persona where it isn't really me, but I'm talking about a situation that I lived through, but in kind of a a masked or a veiled way. You can do that in poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, in in nonfiction, it's a little bit more difficult because when you're writing an essay, the assumption is that when you say the pronoun I, that it really is you and that you're really talking about your own life. And there are even fact fact checkers and, 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 and a whole process that can happen with certain journals before you could even publish certain pieces of nonfiction. In general, oh, yeah, it depends on the piece. It depends on the journal, but um, in general, like, you know, some, some issues may be resolved by simply changing a name Um uh, but but really, they advise you if you're going to write something that could be quite sensitive, that you do have a conversation with anyone who might recognize themselves. Um, you know, our writing, especially in the context of a personal essay or a poem, our writing is really about it's about ourselves. It's about our identities. About our it's about our growth. Um, it's about how we process experience. I don't write. In, I don't write poems in order to like litigate a past issue or something in my past. Um, but I write poems in order to give life to the language that I have inside me. So, you know, I've never had, at least now and not till now or, or not so far, I've never had like any kind of negative encounter with anyone in my family over a poem. Um, but you know, if I, if I did, I would, I would try to listen to what the person said and, and think about like, um, and think about what I was thinking when I was writing the piece. I try to be sensitive at the moment of composition and certainly through revision. It's an interesting, complex issue and every writer has a different relationship to it. Some people don't check with anyone. Uh, it's Anne Lamott who said that, you know, if, if a family member doesn't want to be portrayed negatively in their work, then they should have behaved better in the first place. <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. yeah. Now I want to write about my family and just say that to them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I thought of this question because I was thinking of the poem. Um, I married a horseman. Yeah. Because it's, you know, when a poet writes that it could be anybody, but you know, I know the guy, so I know who it's about. Yeah. 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 So I well, so yeah. I guess my, my question was how did he respond? <laughs> <laughs> that was a poem about my husband. Yeah. Um who, you know, his name my husband's name was Philip. And one of the first things that he told me was about the etymology of his name when we first met. Um Phil means love and Ip means horses. So Philip means lover of horses. <laughs> horse so that was like <laughs> one of the first things that he ever told me about himself. So um I do have a poem called I Married a Horseman, which I also kind of pronounce as I Married a Horseman. Um, <laughs> that kind of like, that kind of, um, that kind of talks about like our marriage and our relationship um, in, I'm, you know, in a positive way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he, he likes that poem, but um, he is kind of a, a quiet way of approving. Let's just say. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, zooming zooming out a little bit, um, I'm really interested to know just in general, um, what is it about poetry that, that moves human beings 
um, to the extent that it's one of the oldest forms of art known to humanity and it just yeah. still still exists today. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a wonderful question. I think that at, in the, at, the, at root, at bottom, poetry is a way that we remember. Poetry exists in service of memory, you know? The very, very first poems were actually songs that were sung by traveling bards or by members of the community that were known as shops, um, S-C-O-P-S. And they would, they were the ones who like, you know, had a stringed instrument or maybe even no instrument. And they were singing about Beowulf. Um, and the poem in old English, um, of Beowulf has all that alliteration in it. If you, if, if you all remember from like freshman English class. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that was done because uh, the poem had to be memorized. It had to be sung from memory. And having the alliterative lines helped the singer remember. So poetry is always tied to memory. And so for that reason, I think that it still has a lot of resonance today. Uh, but I also think that poetry is a way of thinking. It's a way of working on problems with the mind. So you might approach poetry with some of the same questions that you would approach philosophy or history or religion or like divinity. You ask questions about like, what are the limits of human knowledge? Can people change? What is love? (laughs) Like these are all (laughs) questions that poetry attempts to respond to just like all of those other fields i think with uh hearing you talk about the 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 value of poetry and thinking about this pandemic and this situation that we're in happening during national poetry month and feeling like poetry is getting that little bit more thought and recognition throughout this time is is i hate to say a good thing you know just i mean just Mm -hmm. because of what's going on but um i'm I think uh, July is like National Ice Cream Month and October is like National Pizza Month or something. I'm really glad it landed on Poetry Month (laughs) because I think it's better for the world. And I think I just I I know in my classes I teach uh, I teach 11th grade and 11th grade English. And I've been pushing poetry all month because it's really been great for our kind of online model of what we've been doing in school. And I I think, yeah, gosh, all of what you said is so so well said, and I think that that's that's the uh, the value of poetry in general, especially in a time such as this. So, uh, thank you. But thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, poets have had varying roles and a fluctuating status for as long as people have been like writing poems or writing songs or whatever. So, what role do you think that poetry plays in America in 2020? So, what role do you think it should play? What role do you think it plays by default just uh, what what is the role of poetry today in april of 2020 wow i think that the i think that poetry occupies the same place that it always has which is it is a place where humans invest creative energy into forms and shapes and containers that can hold memory. I think that that's probably what's really important now in 2020. So many people are having experiences of this quarantine and people's experiences are very 
different depending on who you are, what state you're in. We were just talking about, like, do you have to wear a mask in, in, depending on what state you're in or what town you're in, you know? Um, what poetry does is it allows for a focused investigation of those feelings that are coming up. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people are struggling with feelings of depression and anxiety because we've effectively lost some version of the world that existed before this pandemic. And when we get back outside, it's going to feel different and we're going to need some way to describe that feeling, to talk about that feeling. Um, We're going to need a way to acknowledge to one another that we've all been through something that is incredibly scary. (laughs) Um, And that has a, will have a long-term effect on us and on our relationships. Poetry has the ability to help us with that. The poetry of the past has that ability. The poetry of disaster, the poetry of, of, um, of survival, um, the poetry of hope, the poetry of joy, all of that already exists in our tradition. And we're going to add our voices to that. Um, as we move through this crisis together. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, <laughs> that is so well said. It's been, it's been so amazing talking to you and we could keep you doing this all night. And I just think we, we can't thank you enough for talking to us about that. And just, you are clearly just, I mean, an inspiring, brilliant, kind hearted person. And we really are thankful for your input on this and your Petrosino for president. Ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there we go. We're not kidding. <laughs> at least poet laureate <laughs> at least come on come on uh thank you thank, thank you, you guys so that. much it's been so much fun to, to speak to you and actually just like commune with other people who are interested in writing <laughs> yeah. and stuff. um i wish we were all hanging out together with like a drink you know but maybe that yeah. can happen someday we'll make that oh yes someday. i hope so sure. what you guys uh, haven't been drinking I mean, together, together, yeah. Magic of a Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Well, well, thank you for listening to episode 140 of the Erasable Podcast. Uh, Kiki, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, You can find me at my website, which is just uh, kikipetrosino.com. And you could also find me on Instagram and Twitter at just at kikipetrosino. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Andy, how about you? Um, I am at Andy.wtf and Twitter and Instagram at, at a waffle. Johnny? I'm at pencilrevolution.com and on Instagram and Twitter at pencilution. Right. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Tim Wassum and I'm on Instagram at Timothy Wassum because I'm fancy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can support us on Patreon at erasable.us slash Patreon. We'd like to thank our Patreon producer-level supporters, Alex Jonathan Brown, Ann Seip, Bob Otswald, Bobby Letzinger, Chris Jones, Chris Metzkus, Chris Ulrich, David McDonald, Dave Tubman, Fourth Letter, Franklin Furlong, Gangster Hotline, Hans Noodleman, Hunter McCain, Jacqueline Myers, James Dominguez, Jason Dill, Jay Newton, Joe Crace, John Bainan, Johnny Baker, Kathleen Rogers, Kelton Weens, Larry Grimaldi, Leslie Tuzet, Mary Collis, 
Measure Twice, Michael Dialosa, Michael Hagen, Millie Blackwell, Random Thanks, Sarah Hunter, Stuart Lennon, Tana Feliz, and Terry Beth Ledbetter. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Erasable Podcast. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Erasable Podcast and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Erasable Podcast. Please, if you have a second, uh, rate and review our podcast on iTunes, recommend us on Overcast, whatever it is that you use to listen to this podcast that really helps us become more visible, uh, sets us apart from all those other pencil podcasts out there. They're no good. (laughs) <laughs> we are the number two number one uh, number one number two pencil podcast they're number so thank four you, <laughs> thank you for okay. listening to episode 140 of the Raceful podcast and we will talk to you soon